Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rant Show on AM 770 KTTH and 94.5 FM for our friends on the greater east side. People pretended to be spiritually broken over the death of an orca, and that is what's trending. At some point, it will be trending. At some point in the near trending. Future. The environment. His computer broke down and he forgot to turn down the music. Doing okay in there? We're doing great. I just get really emotional thinking about the whale. Don't blame Tokate. Don't you dare. Don't exploit this poor orca who gave its life for something. I don't know. I, I legitimately don't mean to make fun of people who are mourning the death of Tokate is what I'd say so I don't get in trouble. So I legitimately don't mean to make fun of anyone here. And in fairness, I to a point, I guess, I understand a, a tribal reaction to this versus the white lady on Mercer Island who dressed in all black this weekend to mourn the life of an orca that she doesn't truly care about but pretends to for some reason. You're not earning any social currency off of this. I don't get it. These, some of the reactions are just super bizarre to me. And maybe it's one of those you had to be here for this and like experience, the, you know, what it was like when Tokate was here before it was airlifted to wherever. I, I just I don't understand any aspect of this story. And as much as I say, in fairness, that I at least in part, I get some of the, you know, a tribal reaction, lamination, like, I, OK, I, to a point I get it. But also, well, let's relax a little bit. Okay, let's just pull back just a little bit. It's an orca. That's it. And the reason why this part is important is because it becomes political. It cuts into policy, specifically around salmon, which I guess we don't have a spiritual connection to because the orcas eat them. So we don't mourn the death of, an, uh, of a salmon. But this has to do with, well, how do we protect salmon? Are we getting rid of some dams? I mean, that... that has some serious implications here. Now, Caro 7 TV did a, a package around the ceremony over the weekend that I, I, I'm, I hate myself for missing. I was so upset when I realized it was happening and I didn't know. I was kicking myself all weekend. What day did it happen? Uh, Saturday on I, on Saturday, after I learned it happened, because I mistakenly thought it was Sunday. It wasn't really Sunday though. It was Saturday. Are you sure? Uh, yeah, it was Saturday. I I said to myself, "Oh my God, how could I do this?" I had an outfit picked out and everything, but I thought we would play some of the feature story. We don't want your sympathy. We don't want anybody to feel sorry for us. Great. Okay, we're moving on. That was easy. Yeah, never mind. I thought it was going to be really difficult and it was going to involve a nuanced conversation about uh, the, the impact of, of man upon orca and something about the spirituality of, of our ocean. But no, I don't have to feel OK. Oh, there's more. We want your empathy. We want you to understand who we are and where we come from. I can't give empathy about an orca dying. I can give sympathy. I, well, I can't because I'm not capable of that emotion, but I like. I can't give you empathy. I don't know anyone who can truly give you empathy. 
You don't understand what it's like to lose a prominent whale? Sympathy versus empathy are different, right? Sympathy is for something that you have not personally experienced, but you can understand. You can put yourself in the other person's shoes or sandals in this case. But empathy means you've personally experienced something. I've not experienced losing an orca. I've lost a dog. That part I understand. But Does that dog have a cultural impact? Yeah. I mean, the orca doesn't know you from a hole in the wall. Doesn't know who you are. The dog does. The dog has a personal connection. The orca doesn't. While Tokotai sadly won't make the return journey home, rejoining her mom and pod, the Lummi Nation's chairman says this is an opportunity to come together for a common purpose. Protecting the waters, the southern residents still swim. Now, again, this is where it becomes important for all of us. Because there's been a heck of a lot of conversation as to what to do to protect the orca, which has implications to our tourism industry. There are jobs connected to all of this because there were folks who wanted to basically take away any kind of boating nearby for whale watching purposes because it disrupts the orcas. We are still fighting for the rights of those that don't have a voice. Those that are living in these waters, our relatives that live under the sea, are still here. I feel like I've I've responded in a certain way. I'm going to get in trouble for something being like something along the lines of being culturally insensitive. So I will I will withhold my judgment. They still cry for their babies. They still cry for their families. Before we can truly heal as a people, we have to acknowledge the true history of this place that we all call home. Tribal. I, God bless Cairo 7, but they give us no context as to why they pick that clip and or what in God's name they're talking about. And I'm certain that I'm assuming there's some sort of native spiritual reason behind making that comment. But I listen to I, I listen to this thing a few times now. and I just I don't follow any of it. And maybe if I understood it more, I would have a connection to this story, but something tells me that wouldn't be the case. Members also say Tokatai called attention to another issue plaguing her relatives, an issue created by people surrounding the Snake River. She opened up the ability to tell that story and the fact that what was once a a great river on this West Coast, Uh we've turned to a lake. Again, they're going after dams. Uh, which is inherently political, and they're using Tokate to do it. You're using a dead orca for your political agenda. Just throwing that out there. It's a it's a a, a flubber prop. Is that what the, their fat is called? Uh, blubber. Blubber. Flubber is the dolphin. It's a dolphin then, right? Well, that's flipper. Flipper. Flubber's the movie from the '90s with the green slime. It was not a dolphin movie, Flubber. I think no, that I was think the name I, of the dolphin. I thought I'm pretty sure it's Flipper. No, I, I in addition to the Flipper, I, I, I acknowledge Flipper. Okay, well you Flippa? you were. <laughs> Let me just finish. For our own benefit, we're going to see the salmon swimming. We're going to see our orca relatives swimming. We're going to see this land uh, just as our ancestors saw it. There are only around 75 southern resident orcas left. Their main source of food: chinook or king salmon. <laughs> The orcas Tokatai once swam with also came to welcome her home. The gathering of the orcas that were out here the very day she died was a testimony of the spirituality of it all. Uh-huh. It's real. 
the spirit is still here. She came home, not physically, but spiritually. Look, if that's what they believe, that's what they believe. I'm, I'm fine. I, but it's the second that they get into the politics, that's where it becomes an issue. I've never seen Flubber. How did I have that in my head? I have no idea. That was like a pretty important kids movie growing up. Yeah, I, I figured you would have known that. I don't know any movies. Nineteen ninety-seven. So would have, I would have, you know, I was born in eighty-two. So I mean, maybe I was too old for it. Doesn't surprise me. Flubber. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I'm the, I maintain, the green slime guy. I maintain yeah. that there's some fish of some kind or whatever orcas are mammals i don't care named flubber i'm convinced if you feel it in your spirit then it's true yeah i'm getting pushed in that direction just like you're getting pushed to push the button what's trending crime chicago is the latest city to sue kia and hyundai and now they've got a mayor there blaming the car makers for their crime crisis now of course seattle and i think we were the first in uh, suing both of these car companies, it's pretty much the exact same legal argument, which is neither of these companies included the industry standard when it came to safety to help prevent these cars from easily being stolen. Obviously, there was the TikTok trend that taught people how to easily do this. I think we've now... Should it be graduating from using that as an excuse for what's going on? It, it, I've never seen any of these videos. They're not on TikTok anymore, or maybe the, some are sneaking in. The gang members who are stealing cars and the common they didn't get it from TikTok. It's, it's a pretty lazy thing to say at this point. We're, I think. we're pretty far removed from that. But he's blaming this on the steep rise in crime. Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago. He said, the impact of car theft on Chicago residents can be deeply destabilizing, particularly for low to middle income workers who have fewer options for getting to work and taking care of their families. What do you mean fewer options? They've got as many options as everybody else. We're talking about a car, correct? Okay, so that's driving themselves. They have access to a bus. In fact, that's part of the reason why we have a transit system for folks who can't afford to get a car. So, what? How do they have fewer options? The failure of Kia and Hyundai to install basic auto theft prevention technology in these models is sheer negligence. And as a result, a citywide and nationwide crime spree around automobile theft has been unfolding right before our eyes. Oh, yeah. Has nothing to do with the soft on crime policies. It has nothing to do with the fact that you don't chase anyone in a stolen vehicle it has nothing to do with the fact that they're usually juveniles involved and you don't put juveniles in jail ever instead you put them in restorative justice programs that had nothing to do with this and nothing seriously not even a little tiny bit policy wise it's it's all because of hyundai and kia now the, in fairness to brandon johnson and any other liberal who holds his position we did not steal we did not see cars being stolen prior to the tiktok trend so in, I will give him that in fairness. I mean, really, when, the last time we saw a vehicle getting stolen was like a horse and, and carriage. And that were, those were cowboys who hung on to the side of them. And 
dainty women inside. And we're like, oh, no, help me. But they, they, they had treasure and whatnot in, in large chests. That was in Chicago that all happened? I mean everywhere. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, back during the caveman times. Chicago Alderman Raymond Lopez, Democrat, who calls out the crazies on his side. He was on Fox News. Clearly, we don't have a crime problem. We have a Kia problem in the city of Chicago, according to Mayor Johnson. Right. And, and the numbers speak for themselves. A 104% increase from last year, a 234% increase in vehicle thefts from two years ago. But yet it's the car's fault. It's the fact that... They are so easily taken by criminals who run rampant in the city of Chicago. But we have yet to hear our mayor say anything, word one, about the criminals running rampant in our streets. Well, because they happen to be younger and Brandon Johnson doesn't want to stigmatize youth or something. It's certainly true that Kia and Hyundai, it's mostly Kia, honestly. I feel like those have been all the stories. I couldn't tell you the last time we had a stolen Hyundai story that was used in a robbery. It's it's obviously true that they made it easier to steal. But in a society that has not sort of developed this culture of lawlessness, it would just be a car that's easy to steal, but no one would steal it, right? If you have a respect for the rule of law... You don't steal this car. Now, I theoretically can steal one of these cars if I follow the rule, you know, the the details, the steps on TikTok or anywhere else, right? We we know exactly how to do it. So so could you at home? Do you steal cars? I I, I have not, not since I was in grade school. And I imagine there's no one listening to me right now, except for maybe some of the folks who are in jail and they write me letters, handwritten letters that freak me out. I'm going to assume that you all have not stolen a car either. So why is that? If the reason why we have this crime crisis in which cars are being stolen is because of Kia, why haven't you or I stolen a vehicle? It's because we have respect for the rule of law. People without that respect are taking advantage of the vulnerability in these vehicles and they're constantly taking advantage because they're not being punished many times they're not being caught but other times if they are caught they're released on their own personal recognizance and they end up getting some sort of plea deal where they promise to go to some restorative justice program where they perform art therapy and group sessions of which you don't really even have to show up to don't worry they don't tra- track it. They don't check it. They don't audit very often. I think that's maybe why we are seeing the rise in crime, only in certain areas, by the way. Now, crime exists everywhere and stolen cars can happen anywhere. But tell me the last time we had a conservative-run city that's dealing with this level of crime, just from a rate perspective, because you'll someone will, who's dishonest will say, well, Democrat runs the larger cities. Yeah, okay, but so what's the, the population? Give me the, the rate of how many cars to the amount of cars you have and the amount of people who are there. Tell me what that crime rate is. If they had that data, they would point it out. They don't point it out because the data doesn't exist. Believe me, I know because I just wrote a book about this. I have an entire chapter on this very issue. Oh, by the way, the name of the book is What's Killing America. 
I've got a copy of it in my hands right now, and it's very heavy. It's like the kind of book that I can give you a concussion with. But I'm not entirely sure I can. So let's, during the next commercial break, let me see if I can. That's what I said first hour. Yeah, and now it's a bit. Okay. It's called Concuss Max. <laughs> I, I, I'm i pretty sure I have health insurance. So I feel we'll like... Figure it out. Well, we're going to scale that back for you. Cost saving. I wonder if it's really about just the, the weight of the book as much as it is the person swinging. That's a good theory. Right? Because I, the heavier the book, the harder it is to swing it, right? But you would expect that a heavy book would cause a concussion. But that's only if I'm like dropping it on your head from a, a distance. Again, well, these are science questions that I need answers to. Well, and it depends on probably the thickness of the hardcover itself, too. It's definitely not a paperback. No, this is a hardcover. It's a substantial book. It's meaty, both in content and size and knowledge. Yes, yeah, that's, that's a good sales pitch. I mean, granted, 70 pages, I think, are notes. <laughs> there are a lot of notes. Well, that's book. the difference between concussion and not concussion, possibly. Yeah, there you go. Push the button. What's trending? On the campaign trail. There's a new poll out from the Associated Press and NORC. It's a legitimate poll. And it finds that the American people overwhelmingly think Biden is too old to be president. This is obviously not good news for Joe Biden. 77%. 77%. Say that Biden is too old to carry out a second term. Meanwhile, when Nikki Haley says that, you've got George Stephanopoulos and others saying, wait, what do you mean by that? Why do you keep saying that he's not going to be able to finish his second term? And it's going to be Kamala Harris. Why, why are you saying that? Acting as if he doesn't know why she's saying it. It's because he's old and they think he's going to die. That's, that's why. Are we on the same page now? George, you see that clip? It's so dumb. Now, of course, when it comes to Republicans... Very high number, 89%. But this is where it's a problem. Democrats polled at 69%. 69% of Democrats say he's no longer up to the task of being president. How that doesn't terrify Democrats right now? Because I know what they're thinking. They're calculating, well... Donald Trump is going to be a four-time, not just indicted, but he's going to be a felon. And they're going to vote for the guy they think is going to die in office instead of voting for the guy whose life was, your, your life was better under him, but he's now a felon. I would vote for a felon over a guy who I think, number one, would make my life worse, and number two, will die. Let's just say, God forbid, that will happen, right? Wouldn't you regret your decision? Unless you loved the vice president, of which... No one has ever said that about Kamala Harris. Doug hasn't said that recently. It's caused a little bit of some strife between the two. Meanwhile, fewer than half of Americans say Donald Trump is too old to hold office. So about 40-something percent. They're almost the same age, give or take. Donald Trump does not act his age. He acts much younger. He does. You might not like him, but he very clearly has energy. He can turn it on. He can turn it off. Biden sometimes maybe turns it on. Only if he had like 12 hours worth of sleep and a blood transfusion from young hippopotami. That's the the plural of hippopotamus. 
I'm proud of you for knowing that. I mean, I, I assumed I don't, it might be hippopotamuses, but I don't think so. That would be a female hippopotamus. Oh, there you go. They say roughly two-thirds of Americans, however, support imposing age limits on the presidency, Congress, and the Supreme Court. That's going to be an interesting one to me because I, I get why someone would support that. I totally understand but isn't Donald Trump not being viewed as too old to be president a perfect reason why you wouldn't want to just base it on age? Not everyone ages the same way. Some age very quickly, some age very slowly. Biology is weird that way. Not everyone is the same. And if someone is older and wiser, they've got the knowledge, institutional knowledge in Congress. Let's say they're a senator. They've been there for a long time. There's a difference between Diane Feinstein and Chuck Grassley. Grassley is old as any person has ever been in the history of mankind. And yet he seems to know what he's doing. He's he's lively, at least. I'm assuming John Kennedy is pretty old, right? Early 70s, mid 70s. He's on top of things versus Diane Feinstein, who's clearly not on top of things. So there's a difference between all of them. Diane Feinstein, I think, is 90 years old. Chuck Grassley, I think, is 307. So, I mean, come on. 1-800-465-8770 is also the age of Chuck Grassley, but also the number to call in or text in. 1-800-465-8770. You're listening to The Jason Rancho. The Jason Ranch Show. Here to react, Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Ranch. And the rise of soft on crime laws and policies have made it worse. Our man in the Pacific Northwest, Jason Rance, is on that. And you keep on bringing her these extraordinary stories from Seattle. It's amazing. Long form. My next guest is the co-owner of a restaurant in Normandy Park. And for the third time in the last about year and a half, he's been burglarized. We talked about it a little bit earlier on in the show, the surveillance we posted on Facebook.com slash Jason Rance Show. He's at a point now where not only is enough enough, he's running for office. He actually wants to see some change. Nirav Sheff joins me now. Welcome to the show. Hey, Jason. Thank you very much for having me. And uh, I want to address this, uh, the issues we have going on. Uh, like I said, uh, we talked earlier the reason for me running for the office is all this stupidity we're dealing with because of our administration is a complete failure. Yeah. They're putting the political agenda ahead of every public safety concerns we're dealing with right now. Now, you've decided to run for Congress. We're going to get into the campaign in a second. But if you could take us through what happened over the weekend. So I got a phone call uh, nine. 25 to be precise for my chef who opens my restaurant every morning to prep things up and it's like we got vandalized again and i was not surprised based on the situation we are going on and i asked him what happened and he mentioned that the back door was pried in and somebody came in and we had stuff all over the place uh, most of the liquor got stolen and the whole register was missing then I checked my footage with my business partner, and we saw three individuals just sitting down casually on a patio. 
you can see it. We have a cars going by. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, they were trying to pry in comfortably because they know nothing's going to happen. They are so comfortable committing crime. It's like they're doing a job. Yeah. And that surprised everyone. And they just got in. They had a gloves on, mask on. They were professionals. And just for $300, they have damaged $6,000 worth of stuff. And this is like third time in last 12 months that every time they come in, they, they for 100 bucks, they mm-hmm. just damage everything and traumatize my chef. He's scared. And I just called the insurance company, called the cops, and they said, okay, this is what's going on. We're going to investigate. They gave me case number, and I had to call insurance now. But this is a joke, to be honest. I'm just going to put a sign up there on a door. If you want to vandalize or break in, just call me. I will give you cash for it, but don't damage my stuff. Yeah, because it's not worth it. To, you know, you're stealing 100 to $300, maybe some you know, bottles of booze, right, wine or something. But the damage, to your point, $6,000, and that's probably on the low end. You might have even gotten lucky because we've seen instances in which folks are spending more than $10,000 fixing a break-in that, again, you know, the robber only gets off with about $300 worth of, of either product or cash. Now, Normandy Park is one of those cities where we don't really talk about all that often. It doesn't get the attention that a, you know, Tukwila, Burien, White Center, Des Moines might get. What is the general, yes. you know, issues on the ground with crime in Normandy Park? I imagine it's the same in Normandy Park where it is everywhere else. Yes, Normandy Park is a pretty safe neighborhood. Uh, I feel pretty safe. The police there are really, you know, active. They patrols, and I can see the presence at night as well. But these guys are not from Normandy Park. They are targeted, you know, those businesses with canvassing, you know, priors. Mm-hmm. They're professionals. They know that they don't have, on especially on the weekend, much patrolling. During the daylight, you can see it's 8 in the morning. Yep. And nobody would have thought about this, that these guys are actually vandalizing businesses, not a guest. So they took the opportunity. Like Des Moines, I got a business in Des Moines. And you have a video, and you know, I send it to you. Yep. Uh, the manager was beaten up and had a gun pulled on his face. That was also 3 in the afternoon and busiest street ever. 70,000 cars goes by on the you know, Pacific Highway 99. That's one instance. And also, with the other cities, we're talking about Burien, the homelessness issue, the drug issues in there. The business owners are screaming out loud to the administration, please help us. This is not helping for the community or progress for the business. But nobody's listening. Same thing, Big Harbor. That's one of the nicest locations you can have in Pierce County. Okay? People there bring their cars for repair at my shop and they found out two months ago at two in the afternoon two guys came in broke the door got all the keys of all customers cars and out of that they stole between uh, five cars yes five cars they stole five cars and the police only able to find two back other three still you know missing and same thing happened two weeks ago one truck got stolen and they ditched it because the engine seized on them. The, car, the truck was at my shop for repair. But that's the reputation of all these 
property crimes, vandalism, mm-hmm. stealing, uh, shoplifting, not in just my businesses. I'm talking about every single, uh, you know, Walmart, Target, yeah. big businesses, small businesses. Well, and they get away with it because there are no in. consequences. Yes, absolutely. So you've decided, and we're talking with not just someone who's a business owner who constantly gets targeted, but we're talking with someone who's running for Congress. Narav Sheth is running in Washington's 8th Congressional District, which does not cover, uh, at least in this case, Normandy Park, where one of your businesses is located. I'm assuming it's because you live in in this particular district. What made you decide to step up and run for Congress versus, you know, a, a state Senate seat or state House seat? Uh. To decide for Congress, the impact I can bring from uh, Washington, D.C. is uh, it's more impactful, I would say. Uh, the policies and the current members of Congress pushing the open border uh, drug crisis we have, fentanyl, if you know. I had a two employees. One got killed already. Another other one committed suicide in January. He killed himself. All those issues I'm dealing with personally, I'm a victim myself, and I'm not just going to stand and watch. I got the opportunity. Somebody asked, would you like to run for an office? And I said, yes. I didn't even ask which one, because <laughs> if I get a platform that I can you know, get support and I can get mm-hmm. my message out, I'm not going to wait for right office like this is what I want to do. No, this is a job for me. I got to, I got to responsibility as a citizen i did before served in the marine corps served in the liquid police and right now i'm going to do it again if i get opportunity to serve i will do it again and that is the reason i decided to run for an office just trying to make things better for me and for the next generation you're running as a republican in a district that has been more blue with kim schreier uh, obviously, she was able to take advantage of, I think, the anti-Trump sentiment, which kept her in office. What makes you think that you can defeat Kim Schreier this time around? Republicans have not had an easy time going after someone who's constantly considered to be a vulnerable Democrat. Yes, Jason, you're right. But I'm seeing people as a people, not a Republican or Democrat. Like we have a new Republican uh, Washington State Chair, Jim Walsh. He keeps saying that people are people. Okay, what they want is justice, a stable society, good economy, and safe neighborhood for the kids. Yep. And a better education for the kids. That's that's all. That's everybody wants. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. People are people, uh, and that is the reason I'm running. And the Republican gave me a platform. I'm not saying that. And I do believe in conservative values as well. So all those, you know, similar values and a similar goal we have trying to achieve, this, that is the reason I decided to run as a Republican. But at the same time, look at us, what we stand in Washington State particularly, as most of the, most of the office uh, run by Democrats, the governor. Look at the oil price, uh, gas prices right yeah. now. It's almost... $5. Yeah, they, they very clearly have not been – their policies have definitely not benefited not just Washingtonians but the American people in, in general. Uh, specifically when it comes to support for business and law enforcement, Kim Schreier 
yes. is silent for the most part. She every once in a while will put out a press release when she's running for office pretending that she supports the police. But she has been maintaining positions that I, I, I think are meant to placate the Seattle style progressive. And I would argue that that's not where Duval is. That's not where North Bend and Maple Valley and Enumclaw, Buckley, Graham, Eatonville, that, that doesn't represent their values. Where in the district do you live? I live in uh, uh, Pierce County right now. So I got a house in Enumclaw. So I do have a couple of houses. Yeah. Right now. So, so you, you as someone uh, who lives in Enumclaw, do you feel like Kim Schreier represents you? Yes. She does represent me, but I'm not seeing any effect on it. Yeah, so, so she's she's she technically yeah, so she technically represents you, but she's not delivering any results. No, I'm not seeing anything. Defunding the police was the busy, biggest thing in King County. King County is the most affected area by crime. Anybody can say yes. Any single person. It doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican or you know any other party. Mm-hmm. You can you can tell most of the people are done with dealing with crimes, most of the business owners dealing with, you know, inflations, they cannot even raise the price because guests or customers, they aren't even making that much money either. People are losing jobs. Police are getting defunded. They have to quit their job because of those vaccine mandates, which is at the end came out, vaccine doesn't help. So all those policies they're pushing towards the citizen, but at the end, it's not beneficial to anyone. But people lost their jobs, their livelihood. A lot of, you know, citizens left the state due to all these policies. I don't know the numbers right now. I just read an, an article, 160,000 people every six months since COVID. Uh, we have, we lose 160,000 people every six months from Washington State only. I have personally, some of the friends, they moved in Georgia, Texas, Arizona, mm-hmm. where policies are made for the citizens, not for the benefits yeah. for the politics. We've been hearing a lot of those stories, and you know, it's including Montana, Idaho, Florida. I mean, it, it is pretty remarkable what's been going on. And the good news is we can point to exactly what the problems are because they're based in policy, which means we can change them. But we have to put decent people in office. I'm glad you're running, Narav. I, I wish you the best of luck. Again, we're talking with Narav Sheth. If you want to learn more about his race, look up chefforcongress.com. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. Thank you again. And God bless America. God bless America. Love it. You're listening to The Jason Rancho. When we come back, it's time for a quick hit. The Jason Rant Show. Let's bring in our man in the Pacific Northwest, KTTH, Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Rantz. Great to have you with us to tell people a little bit more about this. Jason Rantz is in focus now. Jason Rantz, thank you for your reporting on that. The Quick Hit. So as we've been reporting over the course of the last about week and a half, this week is when I think most of the state has kids going back to school. I believe that's most of the country. It's back to school week. At least for those of you who don't live in areas with some selfish teachers who are going on strike, like in Camas. But because we're going back to the classroom, and this is the first full year post-COVID being quote-unquote over, there has been some revisionist history, particularly in the sense that 
This is clearly a political issue. It's become a political issue, whether or not it was the right thing to do to close schools during COVID. And I think very clearly the data suggests that outside of the first month where people were just acting out of an abundance of caution, I think most folks could at least understand positions that were taken. It it was clear that the data early on showed that kids are barely impacted by COVID. But now we're seeing an increase in some COVID cases nowhere near the surge that we've previously seen. We have, I think, three new variants all suspiciously timed around this upcoming election. And there have been conversations about whether or not some are going to go back to mandates around masks, maybe even around vaccines. Now, the good news, we haven't seen yet a significant push to bring back masks. Not in Washington, not in the United States. We've seen a lot of conversations about it. We've certainly seen some businesses and some schools bring it back. But it's not widespread yet. The The problem is, can one school, then one business inspire another one to do it, and then all of a sudden you've got this momentum on the side of mass? That's the fear. And if that does end up happening, you're going to see significant pushback from the American people. Significant. Regardless of how they view the, uh, the, the politics of it all, you're going to see a significant pushback. And that pushback will hurt Democrats because they're the ones who... Again, they branded themselves around being the party of science, even though they were completely ignoring science when it came to COVID. And they still are completely ignoring it. So you're starting to see some of the PR work that's being done on their behalf by their toadies in the media. One particular toady is Mehdi Hassan on MSNBC, who is insufferable. He is so arrogant. He's as arrogant as he is ignorant. And The monologue he delivered, and I'll play just a little bit of it from this past weekend on COVID and kids or the impact COVID has had on students, it is truly remarkable in how just flatly dishonest he is. Today, I want to address this thorny and very emotive issue of kids, schools and COVID, because we have seen a blatant and bad faith rewriting of history on this issue. Now, (laughs) This is where the gaslighting begins. Okay, this is where the hypocrisy begins. He's about to tell us the things that conservatives have said that apparently are revisionist. From a lot of people who should know better. And so I think this today, what you're about to watch, is one of the most important deep dives I've ever done on this show. It's not. It wasn't that important. And it definitely wasn't interesting. And it was based in lies. Because the myths about children and COVID, that kids aren't really harmed by it. Kids aren't really harmed by it. Just just FYI, all the data points to that. All of it. There's not any data anywhere that your average kid is significantly impacted by COVID. It is like they have the flu. The younger they are, they might not even notice that they're sick. That's what all the data suggests. Now, when you cherry pick data... And you say, well, X amount of percentage, and I don't have the percentage off the top of my head, mostly because I don't like the way that they do it, 0 to 21 or 0 to 19. I think that's a little bit disingenuous. But they'll they'll point to a a number of, of kids who unfortunately died due to, at least in part, COVID. What they'll never tell you is that those kids were already severely immunocompromised, where they already had some sickness that was making them susceptible to death if they got the common cold. 
they of course don't provide you that context. And then you'll get the 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 talking point, the bumper sticker. It doesn't really mean anything, at least as it relates to policies. They'll say, well, one death is one too many. Sorry, that's not how we derive policy. I would prefer that that number is zero, but I also understand it's not going to be zero. Now, there are things you can do to mitigate, I guess, but they're not mitigation policies across the board that make sense for students. It might make sense for a kid who is severely or even partially immunocompromised, sure. But they should take different risks or no risks at all when it comes to this versus your average student. So, number one, he's already lying. That school closures were a massive and avoidable mistake. They, they were a massive and avoidable mistake. They, clearly, it was a mistake. Right? It, it was clear it's a mistake based on, again, all of the data. Now, he wants you to think that by throwing in the term avoidable, it's going to give a pass to these schools that's reasonable. Because what he's going to say and what he does say and what others like him say is that we were doing the best that we could. We had your, your students health in mind. We just didn't know. But that's where the lying begins, right? That's a lie. Because at some point they did know. At some point they very clearly knew. They knew that kids were barely impacted and they knew how COVID spread. And if they were truly believers in the mask, that the mask would stop COVID from spreading, well, guess what? They wouldn't have closed schools. They would have just let kids go to school in masks. But they waited and waited and waited despite what all of the data, all of the data said. Well, we had to wait for a vaccine. No, you really didn't. Again, not based on the data. Because the vaccine for kids is almost as useless. It's more useless than the vaccine is for adults, which the data suggests. We don't know, by the way, what the new ones, the new variants do with the vaccine which is why the doctors who are being honest about this, and frankly, there have been quite a few who say, yeah, we're not, even some outlets, we're not saying go get vaccinated at this point. That they cause learning loss and mental health issues. It did. Those myths, and they are myths, They're dangerous not. myths, They're not. have endured for so long, become so ingrained, so pervasive, that they're not just something Fox viewers believe. I'm sure Ooh. many of you watching at home have Ooh. sadly come to accept many of these myths as true. He is lying. Every comment he made, Every claim that he made was a lie while telling you other people are lying. They should know better. The data is crystal clear. And there are people like him who are still out there because they like the power that they derived from the COVID lockdowns. And they loved the ratings that they got because of it. The fear, the fear ratings, the fear clicks. Do not fall for this. And really, I know you guys at home aren't going to fall for this, but you might know people will fall for this. Don't. 1-800-465-8770 for your texts. You're listening to The Jason Rancho.